Hi, I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. Now this is a format that some of you may be a little used to, but we're going to try something a bit different this time. I'll still be interviewing philatelists and the interview process and topics will largely feature all things philatelic and some even outside the normal scope, but I'll be bringing in different guest co-hosts for each episode and each interviewee that we speak with will relate to the philatelic interests of the co-hosts I've invited on. For example, I reconnected with our first co-host, Victor Livesay, a YPLF member, at the latest APS Summer Seminar where we both attended the Washington Franklin Expertising course, hosted by Guy Gasser and our guest today, Steve Unkrick. Victor and I, as well as many other guests I have on the show, will run our own intros for each episode, but I wanted to just chat with you now and throw a brief precursor in in the first episode to introduce the concept and the series itself. So without further ado, here is the first interview. Thanks. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. Hi, my name is Victor Livesey. Um, I graduated from the YPLF uh, just this August. Oh. Um, I'm currently attending Ohio State University in mechanical engineering. <clears throat> uh, I guess for our participants, uh, Steve Unkrick, I've known him since I was about 10 years old or so. Um, we're about from the same area, him being from Cincinnati and me growing up a few hours north of him, um, I'd attend shows and he'd often be there. And, you know, I got to know him from a pretty young age and I did attend his his course um, at summer seminar this summer in Belfont. Um, it was you know, a very hands-on course, very exciting and had a lot of opportunities for you know, learning in the Washington Franklin uh, series. So. Uh, it'll be exciting to see what he has to say. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Victor, and thanks for joining and and doing this with me. Um, yeah, this is the this is the first one here, so let's see how it goes. Uh, Steve is actually here, right now. I'll actually just let him in. If you're perfect, cool with that. perfect. All right, here we go. I didn't know that you you'd already graduated from the YPLF. Um, did you? Was, uh, what, what was I your guess... your your track was dealer track? Dealer track, correct. So you were dealer track at the YPLF. What was the final project for that? Do you have to do a presentation or something? Yes, it was a presentation. Um, and really the content of it and whatever we had to produce was really just open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I ended up doing is taking my time in Cleveland um, and talking to as many dealers as I could. Um, just kind of, I had a lot of questions that... Uh, would help me, I guess, make the presentation. And I boiled it down to about five to ask as many people as I could, uh, basically how they started as as a dealer um, and how they built up to where they are now and what they're doing um, to best utilize the decreasing amount of stamp shows, increasing amount of online traffic, you know, mm. over the recent years and seeing where they want to go over the coming years, whether they want to retire or move into one, um, stay online specifically or just stay with in-person shows um, and just get a feel for um, how they got to their current place right now as far as their business goes awesome i got a ton of questions there but i i want to say hi to steve thanks for joining us steve um how's your day been so far and uh it looks great out there yeah um hopefully Turns out to be a good meeting. Victor, how are you? Doing well, Steve. How are you? Good. Good. Just got finished with golf. 
So <laughs> in a decent mood. <laughs> Well, um, well, thank you so much for um, for joining us today and, and talking to us. And I'm excited about the stamps you sent over, the images you sent over to talk to you about them, because, yeah, I mean, those seemed I couldn't spot what was wrong with them immediately. So I'm hoping to talk to you about that and um, and everything. But before we jump into it, do you mind talking a little bit about your uh, position as an expertizer for the APS and for Apex? Sure. Um... I started about six years ago, six or seven years ago, and uh, when Mercer was the director, uh, he's, uh, they've been looking for people for the Washington Franklins, and it's an area that I'd always been interested in. Um, I know a lot of people are leery at best about that particular set of stamps. But um, it was just an interest, an area that always interested me. And I, I try to do my research, looking for uh, material. It gives me as much insight as possible to that particular series and, and just talking to the right people. But, um, you know, there was um, Larry Weiss, uh, Ken Lawrence um, and uh, Jerry Nylander, who had all been experts in, in the area and, and talking with him. There, there were a few others, George Brett, I had the, the honor of meeting and talking to a few times. Um, so, and there's a few people that I know that don't do the expertizing, but know know the series very well. So yeah. even if I have questions, I have somebody to, to go to that I can talk to. How tough is it to find expertizers for, for the Washington Franklins? I mean, are there many of you? I know of five or six. I think Dennis Gilson is probably retiring. Hmm. And I know Mercer was still coming in every once in a while and expertizing the series. But um, yeah, there are three or four others that we probably get most of the material that is sent into the APS. So they're always looking for qualified people. Uh, you know, right now I'll get anywhere 40 to 50 items at a time. And you know, it's not something that you can just look at in an hour or two and, right. and send it back. It, It'll take several days and you can go a little bit bug-eyed looking at through microscopes or magnifying glasses for some of this stuff. <laughs> so hopefully, Victor, who knows? Maybe we can get you doing it someday. Right? <laughs> hopefully. I mean, having the, uh, the exposure that I've had so far, it's definitely a topic that interests me uh, with my collecting interests. So we'll see. Okay. What is the what is the youngest expertizer? Uh, who's been the youngest expertizer for the Washington Franklin series? Oh, that's a tough question, probably. Well, I don't know them all, but I would probably say in his forties, probably Andrew. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I know Dennis is getting up there in years, and 
Uh, I know Larry doesn't do it anymore. I, one of the dealers who's also an expertizer, uh, I don't know his age. He, he might be younger, probably older though. Okay. So. Well, thank you. Um, let's take, I've enabled screen sharing if you want to, if we should uh, just jump right into this um, with the first one. Do you want to share it or should I, or did you have anything to add? Well, first I, I would like to mention that, Yeah. um, you know, we, we can go over some of these um, stamps that I've supplied that can tell you why they're either fake or counterfeits or whatever, but, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I, I just want to mention that you, you, if, if this is something that you're interested in, by all means, find the literature that you need, the reference material, get the correct perforation gauges, um, you know, practice, look at the material, look at genuine material under magnification, look at uh, known fakes, buy known fakes with certificates. So, but uh, Joel, Schmid, uh, even Larry Weiss has put out some information, Martin Armstrong. Uh, th this is all material that not only should you have in your reference library, but should also read it and study it. A lot of people buy it and it sits on the bookshelf. Yeah. And um, it, it, it pays dividends when you're looking through dealer stock to, if you've read and studied the reference material. Yeah. So. Yeah, so a lot of this information will be supplementary, essentially, to the reference material. It, it, it's almost, it makes more sense to read the experts book first to have this gauge. I mean, a lot of the, the stuff you'll be talking about is going to be referencing Um, back to that. and even to have it on hand because Yeah. you're going to you're going to be able to read something and not know exactly what they're talking about all the time but if you're looking at material and a situation comes up you recognize yes that's what he's talking about this is what it looks like this is why it's real this is why it's uh fake so yeah it, it pays to to study the reference material. So I found some nice items knowing what to look for and what to avoid. Right, right. I, I mean, studying it, how long, if I may, was the process from you beginning your interest in Washington Franklin's to when you felt comfortable being an expertizer? Well, I'd say probably uh, three or four years. Really? Something like that. Yeah. I was, I'd always enjoyed the series, but um, I think the first time I had bought a flat plate coil pair from a dealer, sent it in for a certificate, and it came back with fake perforations that I decided I wanted to find out why. And, um, You started getting into it, you know, how they do it, what genuine uh, straight edges look like, what genuine perforations look like, and uh, and going from there. But um, yeah, it's I, I think that's that was back in I'm going to say the, the late '90s. Um, you know, it took a few years. Um, 
started a new job, but, you know, I went through the process of learning what to look for and finding out what reference material I needed. So some people might be quite a bit faster. Some people may take longer. I, I it's, it's not for everybody. Mm. You know, it's not like we're making big bucks, expertizing all this stuff. <laughs> I think they, the APS pays $2 an item to their experts. And I just donate that back. Right. Um, you know, so I don't actually collect. I, I donate my time expertizing for them. But, um, you know, so, you, so you're not going to make a lot of money. What you do get to do, though, is you get to see a lot of material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that helps you build your own collection as, as well. Kind of just. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there are things that I know that didn't exist. Um, you know, but at the same time, you get a whole bunch of one cent Franklins that are Washington's that are, um, you know, the common 498 that everybody thinks is a 544. So, so, you know, it's, but every once in a while you get something genuinely nice to look at and just want to make sure you do a good job. Okay. So you what want to some, get uh, Yeah. I guess before we get started, um, to kind of, um, I guess if we could give a list, what are some tools that you find essential um, if you're going through dealer stock, if you're going to auction lots, whenever you're looking at material, um, what's, I guess, the staple of tools you would have on hand to um, help distinguish you know, fake, real, um, and determine what's what. Well, I think is your if if you're personally looking at auction lots or dealer stock, you you need something, whether it's a little cheat sheet, or if you just simply recognize the difference between rotary and flat and offset. But uh, out of all of it, probably. The Casalis gauge is probably one of the most important tools. Uh, if you could find one, by all means, buy one. Mm. Um, they are going to save you a bunch of money. A, a regular perforation gauge will certainly tell you if something is perf 12 or 11 or 10 and a half. What a regular perforation gauge doesn't do is it doesn't tell you if the perforations are fake or not. Because, uh, for instance, a perf that's eight and a half in the catalog is not really exactly eight and a half. It's 8.29. But the most of the gauges out there are going to give you a measurement for eight and a half. And if you were to try to use that to measure a stamp that's genuine, you would think that the perforations are fake every time. Mm. So having the proper gauge, obviously, um, a set of tongs, I always re recommend making sure that you're not handling the stamps directly. It goes into in between 
a clear film so that you can put a magnifier right on top of it without touch, actually touching the stamp. Um, and then, um, you know, your own experience, but the gauge probably the most important, and then you're, you're gonna have to use your own experience with determining the difference in rotary, flat, and, and offset printings. And I have my guide here that, that you actually created. Um, I have the gauge as well, the specialist gauge. I'll, I'll kind of put a, a larger photo of it, but the guide that you've created here, um, and I'll do a larger photo of it. I keep this with me. I, I like the upgraded one that's all plastic now because the first ones you were doing had the had stamps on them also. Right. <laughs> and I did, I did make sure that the, um, the image on the plastic they are the exact same size as the stamps, right. and the perforations are all genuine. So they're going to be the same gauge as what you see on the Casalis gauge. Mm. So, you know, and, and then, of course, the last part is a little cheat sheet that's for yeah. the, um, the more rare varieties. Right, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's incredibly useful. I keep it in my bag at all times. Good. So, um, Victor, as far as anything else, um, you know, obviously you can't carry your library with you the whole time to a, an auction or a, or a bourse, but, um, you know, possibly having that template that um, Michael showed, um, the, the proper gauges, songs, um, something to put the stamps in to look at. And a dealer is going to appreciate the fact that you're not actually handling the stamps. Mm -hmm. you know, you, right. you know, you're, you're protecting the stamp. Um, I, I just, I don't know how many stamps have been decreased in value when a collector's looking at dealer stock and ends up putting fingerprints on the back of never hinged stamps you know, or accidentally tears a stamp or something, trying to put a magnification over the top of it. So, yeah, I've definitely done it. So you want to get started with the stamps then or? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Um, what, what do you have first, Mike? Uh, let me do this then. Um, so this one, uh, preview 409. Yeah, this is one that is one of the most common fakes that are out there. This is 409 with pe fake perforations made to look like 461. Hmm. And 461 is notoriously faked. It should only be purchased with a certificate unless you feel confident enough that you want to take a chance you know, but when you look at the perforations, measuring them and, and, and checking for the genuine characteristics. But this is a very commonly fake stamp. And probably most of the ones that are 461 are really 409s with fake perforations. So uh, just as a, as a note, 409 here has a catalog value of $1.20. And 461 has a catalog value of 160 160 or 330 never hinged. 
Right. So they're taking a $1 stamp and turning it into a $300 catalog value stamp. Yeah, that's that's quite a profit margin. Right. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the margins on this one, it, you know, it could could make a decent percentage <laughs> of catalog value. Um, so yeah, dangerous. So, so when you're looking at perforations, a perfectly round hole mm -hmm. is a, is a red flag. The way the perforators work when they were processing the stamp is they were actually on a wheel. So the perforating pin would puncture the paper at a, at a slight angle and for lack of a better term, roll through the paper. And when it did that, it actually made the perforation slightly oblong, and it would try to, uh, there's always one edge that looks like it, the paper is torn away, while the other edge where the pin last hit, it looks like there's a little ridge where the, the paper was pushed at the end of the oblong hole. So... In this one, I believe the gauge isn't correct for one thing, but um, they attempted to create the look of a genuine perforation by teasing the inside part of some of the holes and trying to create that tear look. But um, the giveaway on this one was the gauge was just simply incorrect. Yeah. You put that on a regular gauge and, yeah, you're going to tell that it's perf 11, but the distance between perforations is it's just not correct yeah so it looks like 409 is um it's supposed to be it's supposed to be imperf so they could have even taken because it's only a dollar they could have even just taken a block and cut out and then perfed around it that's interesting yeah you can you can make a huge 461 uh yeah. this one's really nicely centered but it's a really nicely centered fake <laughs> so all right but it's, it's it's worth if you if this has a certificate, it's worth buying one. If nothing else, for a reminder of you know what 461 can be made from, and they're out there. I guess another thing to mention, uh, like you were saying, Steve, when you're going to a show, looking at stuff, you bring in your experience. Uh, just looking at as much material as possible is going to give you an idea of, per se, like colors of what stuff will look like. Uh, just I know that a 461. Has a slightly different shade, a uh, genuine 461 that is, than say other varieties like a 409. Um, and just being able to tell that for stamps that are commonly fake like this one's going to be important. Yes, but four, 409 comes in a lot of shades as well, and the shade of this one, I, I don't, the, the picture doesn't really do it justice, but the the shade of this one is actually pretty close in real life to a 461. So, yes, knowing the shade, the, the correct shade is, is important, but um, a lot of the stuff that they're faked from, you just have to be aware, it comes in many shades, and some shades, right off the bat, you can determine to be fake. A real dark Carmen 409 would be a, an obvious fake of 461. All right, uh, let's move on to the next one then, uh, 543. Okay. This one somebody sent in as a 544, and believe it or not, all four sides have fake perforations from a 543. So again, it doesn't quite gauge properly. There were a couple spots where it looked like 
you could tell there were parts of perforations uh, that didn't quite disappear when they put in the new perforations. This has a certificate as a faked 544 using 543. So again, 543, I'm looking at it in the catalog now, 70 cents, 544, uh, 22,000. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, and yes, the only yeah. difference, the, so the only difference is perf 10 compared to perf 11? Yeah, I mean, if somebody's going to bake a 544, I would have thought they would have used a 542, which is 10 by 11, and then that way they only had to perforate two edges, but hmm. apparently, all four sides of this are fake. And and this was offered on eBay as a fake 544. And uh, I bought it just to make sure I had the, the reference material and really to take it off the market. Right. That was going to, that's, that's an interesting point is to take it off the market because even selling material that's, you know, with a fake certificate can, can be a bit iffy because it, there's not always going to be people taking things off the market. They could just buy this and then throw away the certificate to offer right. it as a, you know, as a 544 with no cert. So that's, tough. that's why it's, it's important to make sure you have the correct ages. Otherwise, if somebody else were to buy this and you know, they, they put it on their own perforation gauge and say, well, it's perf 11, mm -hmm. it's gotta be 544. You know, they believe they made a, a huge killing and then come time to sell it either them or their heirs or find out how disappointing it is and uh, to find out that it's not considered real or they think somebody's trying to take advantage of them. Right. Um, so next one I'll move on to here. Let's get into a coil. You said this is 384 variety. Yeah, this was, um, this was originally 384 V. Mm -hmm. Oh, V. Okay. Vertical. Oh, okay. that's what the V meant. <laughs> they um, tried to make it a real nice 386 line pair. But with this, the holes, they're not in a very straight line. They are too round. Uh, I'm not sure. This is another one that, um, let me see. Yeah, I bought this with a certificate stating that it's a 384. But uh, you know, it's... With the holes too round and no characteristics uh, for, for genuine perforations, it determined to be faked. The edges were genuine, but uh, again, you know, if it had been real, it would have been worth a lot of money as a nice looking 386 line pair. Yeah, 386 line pair, 3500 never hinged. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it brings up another point about uh, straight edges. Best thing you can do is, I mean, I, I see a lot of people guessing, saying all oh, those edges look, they don't look parallel or um, they don't look parallel to the stamp. But images move during stamp production when, when they were being trimmed. So you can't really go by being absolutely parallel with the, the edges. What's more important is characteristic of the edge itself. And I would recommend that people look at oils that have genuine characteristics. Get a, get a stamp, even a cheap stamp like 441 that maybe somebody sent in and it has a, a good cert. Take a look at the edges under magnification. 
they will look different than if somebody tried to use the scissors or an, an exacto knife. And again, take a stamp, a cheap stamp, and use the scissors on it. Mm. Use an exacto knife and see what the edge looks like when you're finished. Okay, it's a genuine coil straight edge will look different, and it's not always about the width or the height. I know the expert's book says this has to measure 21 and a half millimeters, give or take three tenths of a millimeter. But I've seen material that I considered genuine that was less than 21.2 millimeters or more than 21.8. So it's more important to see what a genuine edge looks like rather than relying on measuring and guessing. So can you talk a little bit about why they look different? Um, how they cut the edges on the coils? Um, yeah, the, the coils, what they did was when they wanted to cut a coil, they literally just took out that row of perforating wheels and put in a cutting wheel. So the roller is pretty much slitting through the paper rather than um, cutting it like a scissors or an exacto knife would. An exacto knife, you, when you look at it, will be a nice, straight, super fine edge. And if you look at it, it'll actually look like the edge is rounded a little bit. You know, where a genuine straight edge, that roller has pushed through the paper as it was cutting it, and, and you won't see that rounded edge. And you, you'll because it's not cutting it like a scissors or a, an exacto knife, it'll actually leave fibers. It's it's not a perfect straight edge in terms of being smooth. It's There's a little bit of roughness to it. You, you can even look at um, sheet stamps that have a natural straight edge and, and take a look at the, those edges. You know, it's the same way. Instead of perforating wheels, they used a cutting wheel. And, that, and that's what they used for cutting coils or even cutting sheets apart into panes. But um, the best thing you can do is practice with a knife or, or uh, scissors on some cheap stamps and pay attention to what, what the edges look like. You'll see a difference. The next one we got up, another <coughs> coil, uh, 344. Okay. This one, this one, the, the perforations are again yeah. too round. Yeah. They're not in a straight line. Now, it is possible to have one or two perforations misaligned. Perforating pins get bent. And just because one or two are out of line doesn't mean that you have all the perforations are fake. But this uh, looks like there's a little bit of waviness. Uh, the left side in the middle looks a little bit lower than the right side. Uh, the other thing is they didn't really make the mistake of lining up all the perforations properly, but which is another sign that perforations uh, are fake. If the top perforations, the middle ones, and the bottom ones all lined up perfectly vertically, that's that just won't happen with a genuine coil. The perforations are a lot more random. So this one, perforations are too round. It's been a while since I looked at this one. I'm not sure how it gauged, but um, that was the first sign that this was a, 
a fake coil. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're you're saying. It almost looks like the perforations have been photoshopped in and they're almost at like an angle. The, the left is lower and the right is higher. It's almost like they've been perforated, yeah. you know, diagonally. It's very faint, but it's definitely there. Yep. That's where having, uh, say, a Kiyosawa's gauge to, say, overlay or underlay on a stamp like this over those perforations, you're just going to see, you know, spaces where they don't line up exactly, whether there's perforations above or below or they're separated too much or too narrow. Yeah. Um, and when you use a gauge, the Kiyosawa's gauge, which you, uh, sometimes people make the mistake of trying to get the best fit on the gauge. What you really need to do is try to line up two or three perforations, either the extreme right or left first, hold it on those, on the markings on the gauge, and then see what it looks like on the other side. Typically, a stamp that is well done um, with fake perforations, it may only be order of a perforation off. But by the time you get to the other end of the stamp, those holes will not be matching up properly with the gauge. And that's another thing about the gauge. The size of the holes on the gauge is the correct size of the hole that the stamps should have. So, you know, it's um, the Perf 12s, it's, it's, you, it's not uncommon to find holes that are too small or, or too large. You, you could make a stamp that has holes that are too large and get it to fit on the gauge because they're so large. But if they're not the same size as the gauge, then a real good chance that it's fake and you need to investigate further. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will. Um, I'll put a like a little info packet too in the. They've got the they've got the gauges, but there's also a secondary number on the on the right hand side to the gauge. Um, can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? That number is simply the distance in thousandths of an inch between the center of the holes. That's all that number is. For, for most bureau stamps, you know, for gauge 12, you use the 1267. For 11, you use the 1172. Flat plate for 10, you use 1079. For the rotary, you'll use 1080. And then eight and a half and ten and a half, uh, there's only one gauge for those. Mm -hmm. But um, the gauge also comes with a sheet that you can look up. And some of the later rotary printings in the fourth bureau would use the flat plate perf um, eleven uh, perf ten. I'm sorry. So you, you, it, it's a good idea to you find a gauge, if it doesn't come with that sheet that explains all the perforations, uh, to look it up online and, and print out a copy. All right. The next one we got here, um, 503. Okay. Here, here is where reading your research material comes in handy. You'll notice that along the top edge of this stamp, you can actually see remnants of the guideline. Mm-hmm. Now, for the Washington Franklins, everything up to the 30 cent Washington Franklins had guidelines that were only straight edges. So right away, if you see a guideline on a set of perforations 
and it's 30 cent or lower denomination, you don't even have to measure it. It's they're fake perforations. <laughs> okay. Uh, a lot of the 50 cent may have a guideline on the top or bottom that could be genuine. You just have to know the plate for any given stamp. And there are reference material out there. Schmidt has a, a book out called How to Detect Fake Altered and Repaired Stamps and has a real nice chapter on which stamps have guidelines that are genuinely perforated on which denominations. So I think I supplied you with two other ones that are very similar, a 337 and a 406. Yeah, here they are. Um... Yeah. Here the left side. Yeah. They didn't even bother to, to hide it. They could have cut that off and then perforated. But the top of the 337, you can see the guideline, mm -hmm. automatic fake perforations. Yeah. And Don't then even on the left hand side of the, of the 406. Okay. Then what else did I send you? You sent over uh, the 634D. Yeah, here's a variety that somebody tried to sell saying unlisted, you know, but wrote it up as cutting, having it cut out of a, uh, the booklet. 634 does have wide booklet panes, and all they simply did was cut the top perforations off the bottom pair of the booklet pane. Hmm. And it makes it look like it's a variety that just isn't listed. So... Just because somebody says it's an un, it's an unknown variety doesn't mean it is. There's usually you can find an explanation for just about any of it. Right. That's another thing is is knowing what comes in a booklet pane uh, because there there are some natural straight edges in different booklet panes of of flat plate printings. So just being aware, you know, going back to having all the information and studying that, uh, just knowing what to look for in that sense. Right. And booklet stamps, flat plate booklet stamps, were printed on paper that shrank in the opposite direction that the sheet and coil stamps shrank in. So, or shrunk. The, that, that tells you two things. If, for one, the orientation of a watermark is going to be opposite that of a sheet stamp or coil stamp. So if you have a coil stamp with a horizontal Water, or a vertical watermark, I'm sorry, you know, it's it's going to be fake, made from a booklet stamp. The other th thing is, there are some, it's, sometimes it's nice to know if a stamp came from a booklet or a sheet stamp. The AEF booklet panes uh, 498F and 499F came in a booklet of 30, and that meant that nine of the stamps in the center had perforations all around them. You find those on cover, $750,000 cover easily, uh, versus if it's just the sheet stamp or stamp from a normal booklet paint of six. You know, so there's a couple of positions that you can't tell the difference which paint it came from, but most of the positions on a paint of 30 from the AEF paints can be identified. Yeah, does not sound, um, it sounds like there's a lot to it. 
Um, you know, it's there's a lot of I can understand the the diff the distance it took you, the time it took you, to become an expert in this because there's just so much studying to do. I mean, it's not, you know, and why people shy away from it. It's not an an easy series. Yeah, it's not an easy series. There's, the, the bureau is doing a lot of experimenting, uh, changing equipment. Um, you know, the series lasted for 13 years or so. Um, so you went from flat plate, to rotary, offset. Uh, and each one had their own problems. Um, double impressions, kiss prints, experimental papers. Mm. You know, the blue papers, thin, thick. There's probably quite a few experiments that were performed on paper types trying to uh, correct the shrinkage problem that we'll never know about. Mm. You know, just it wasn't that important for the Bureau to keep track of all the different varieties unless it was a variety that they were going to use. So, you know, blue papers, probably one of the most unrecognized varieties that are out there. But you, again, you should probably purchase anything more than a two cent stamp. You should be purchased with a certificate. Yeah. Um, I know there's, there's a source in Europe that probably has sold more blue paper varieties than exist. You know, and he sells them at a, a tenth or a hundredth of catalog, but he still makes four or $500 yeah. On a stamp that, you know, catalogs 20 to 50 gram. Yeah. But he, and he sells it 20 times. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, how is he, uh, you know, are they just misidentified or is he create, is he altering the paper in some way or is he creating these? What, I mean. Uh, he's just assuming that anybody who will buy it. Right. You know, won't send it in for a cert. Hmm. Um, the five cent is very commonly listed as the blue paper variety just because the shade of the stamp is blue. You get a printing where the shade of the ink makes the paper look a little bit darker than what a, a, a real blue paper looks like, which is actually gray. Very commonly sold as a blue paper variety, and, and they're just simply a 335. The, the double line regular paper stamp hmm. so and though and the guy in europe won't take returns so of course yeah one, once he sell once he gets his money he's, he just figures he found another sucker right frustrating um we have three more if, if you've got the time yeah sure um three more Two more coils and a Shanghai overprint. We'll start with the Shanghai. Yeah, this was uh, fantasy overprint, bogus mm -hmm. overprint. Uh, they not only did they put together a, a bogus overprint, but they overprinted the wrong stamp. <laughs> they overprinted the 333, a perf 12. Mm. So this was this particular overprint was, I think, going around around 20 years ago. I haven't seen any recently. Um, I've got the one, two, and three cent. Uh, mm -hmm. But the Shanghai, the, re the typical Shanghai overprint has also been faked. Yeah. 
So uh, you do have to, you know, there are some fine measurements that you have to take just to make sure you don't have a genuine or you don't have a fake one. But, um, you know, it's the overprint itself isn't as black. It just doesn't look as sharp, and but it is the wrong size. So carefully measuring the overprint should tell you if you have a, a genuine or a fake overprinted stamp. Right. This one, yeah, again, this was real easy. Long <laughs> stamp and you know, yeah. just a fantasy overprint. Case closed as quickly as it was opened. Here we go, 332. Okay. This one, simply, this one, perforations are genuine. Uh, they gauge properly. They have the genuine characteristics, but they simply took a wide sheet stamp and trimmed the two sides to make a, a really nicely centered 349. Hmm. So, yeah, that must have been really wide. It's not quite, most of the 349s that I've seen are not quite that dark. But um, looking at the, the edges of this stamp, I could tell that the edges had been trimmed. So they took a... And, and all these stamps, by the way, do have certificates, so... Oh, yeah. So it looks like they took a 35-cent stamp, trimmed it to try and make a $160 stamp. Yeah. Yeah, 10 seconds worth of work. <laughs> Um, now, you know, you had talked about how they cut the, uh, the straight edges on these coils. Hypothetically, would it be more difficult to tell if somebody tried to recreate that cut with a, like, almost like a pizza cutter? Um, a pizza cutter will do the same thing as an exacto knife. Exacto knife. Okay. I've tried it to see what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. And rounded edge. With a pizza cutter mm -hmm. interesting but uh, yeah that's um i thought maybe something like that could be used you know and and there, who knows there, there may be i'm sure there's material out there that have gotten good certs right where somebody has been able to manipulate the edge to make it look like a genuine coil and it it, it got past the experts mm. here's one that doesn't exist it's a perf 11 coil <laughs> so Simply take the two sides and trim them. New variety. Yep, brand new variety. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing those with us and walking us through them. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, if if you could put up, I don't know, are you planning on putting up the um, the template? Yeah. The show, yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess just put my email under if, if anybody wants to get one. Yeah, the, on the right-hand side, um, I'll just leave that uh, email address on there when I upload the photo of the template okay. and even just highlight it because it's incredibly helpful. So Yeah, yeah I would I, suggest anybody who um, – I, I talk to a lot of collectors who have simply taken all of their Washington Franklins, set them aside, mm -hmm. and, you know, but once they have the template – they're ready to get back into it, they, you know, pull them out and, and start trying to identify. And, and one other point about expertizing, if it's something that is faked quite a bit, like almost all the flat plate coils, if not all of them, are commonly faked. And there's several sheet stamps that are faked, like 461, um, 519, which is very commonly faked 
Assume that it's a fake and try to prove that it's real. Don't assume that it's real and try to prove that it's a fake. Mm -hmm. Do it the other way around. Just assume that it's fake and, and try to check off the, everything that could make that thing a fake and try to prove yourself wrong. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. This has been super helpful. Again, um, you know, always safe to always a best bet to to buy items with certificates. But this has been incredibly helpful. And I'm sure we'll, we'll just help guide people as long as that when they're on the show floor or, or looking through their own collections on what to send in for a certificate and what maybe they can uh, just cross off the list immediately as the as a fake. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Awesome. Um, thanks, Victor. Thank you for uh, absolutely for helping out with that. And um, no, it's great that that you know Steve for you've known him for so long that <laughs> yeah, I mean that that, that went great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Victor. Uh, absolutely. Thank you. It's Until been good. Next time. All right. All right. See you. Take care.